Hey, what's up, everybody? It's your boy, MJ, and I'm going to tell you about my number one secret when I shop for wine. The best strategy is to look at the back label and look for a trusted importer. And one of the most trusted names in wine for the past 30-plus years is Skernick Wines and Spirits. Since 1987, the Skernick brothers, Michael and Harmon, have scoured the earth looking to find super high-quality wines of distinction and then bring them back into the United States so that they can be available to you at your local store or restaurant. The company is headquartered right here in New York City, but they are also a direct wholesale distributor in eight states, including New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Kentucky, Indiana, and last but definitely not least, my beloved wine home of California. They also import many wines that are sold in all 50 states through their partner distributors. I recently interviewed Harmon Skernick right here on the Black Wine Guy podcast, and let me tell you, these guys are the real deal. If you want to learn more about Skernick Wines and Spirits, please have a look at their awesome website. It's www.skernick.com. That's www.skurnik.com. Or you can even give them a call at 212 212- 273-W-I-N-E. That's 212-273-WINE. Hey, I'm MJ Taylor, also known as a black wine guy. I went from being a totally obsessed wine newbie to becoming the world's first ever African-American fine and rare wine auctioneer in less than three years. In this show, I'll be talking to the Mavericks, the philosophers, the players, and the deep thinkers who inhabit the world of wine. They'll share their experiences on how they made it, but more importantly, how they failed and got back up again. So grab a glass and let's get to it. This is the Black Wine Guy Experience. Hey everybody, what's up? It is your boy MJ and welcome to the Black Wine Guy Experience. My guest today is seasoned sommelier, wine educator and founder of Volcanic Selections, Jeff Porter. Uh, Jeff has been featured in numerous major food and wine publications such as the New York Times, Los Angeles Magazine, San Francisco Chronicle, Eater, and the Financial Times. Uh, his sommelier career began in Napa Valley where he worked at uh, Travigne, which I'm sure I said wrong, and St. Helena. Uh, he then joined the Bastianich Hospitality Group in 2009 at Osteria Matza under the auspices of James Beard Award-winning chef Nancy Silverton. In 2011, he moved to New York to become the wine director for Del Posto. And in 2014, Jeff became the beverage operations director, the BOD, that's cool, overseeing the beverage programs for Babo, Del Posto, Esca, Lupa, Otto, and Babo Pizzeria, and more. In 2019, Jeff left the Bastianich Group and began his consulting career and a web series about wine, life, and culture called The Sip Trip. And in 2020, Jeff opened Volcanic Selections. It's an import and distribution business. And outside of beverages, Jeff is an avid at-cook home, at-cook home, at-home cook. Uh, I hope you're not cooking the house down. Uh, he's a doting father. He's a passionate traveler. And a lover of all things barbecue. Welcome, Jeff. Is there anything else you'd like to add? Uh, no, thank you. Thank <laughs> you very, very much. That's that's just that's wild. So, um, tell us uh, what wines you brought for us to drink this evening. So, what we're sipping on right now. I was uh, I spent all day out trying to convince people to buy wine from me, 
And um, this is a sparkling wine from Tasmania. It's a super small uh, family husband-wife operation called Hinskin Rankin. Um, this is from our friends uh, Jane Lopes and Jonathan Ross. They have the legend uh, Wine Australia import company that I represent here in New York. And this is a 2013 Brut Rosé that I think is stunning. Uh, it's the end of the day, so... It's the- uh, it's delicious. And I, you know, they when they were on the show, they brought the, the, the Brut... Uh, you know, the, or I'm, I can't remember. It's a lot of wine since they were on the show, but um, I, to get the rosé is just uh, a special. So, and then uh, <clears throat> what else you brought? So I was thinking a lot about you know what to bring and what kind of wine defines or or, or helps tell part of my story. So I brought uh, Bartolo Mascarello Dolcetto de Alba 2018. Um, so. In my opinion, one of the best producers of wine on the planet, um, from one of the least heralded grapes on the planet, um, and when, in, but in my opinion, Dolcetto is is something special and something to be talked about, um, and um, it's it's regal, in my in my view, and in, in a, a small circle of people, um, but is vivacious and fun and is a serious wine, but at the same time not, and I think that's how I've always kind of defined my wine career. I, I'm serious when I need to be. Right. But, you know, I just I just want to have fun. I love that. I, I say to people all the time, man, if this shit isn't fun, why why are you doing it, you know? So, um, yeah, so let's, you know what's cool? Let's get both bottles. Let's get a nice okay. So So when this goes on the tube of you, um, we're going to – And and, and you know what? And we got a grab bag, just, too. Just gonna, the first time yeah, we got a grab bag. I'm going to bust this out because I was like, you know – Part of Italian culture, and even though I'm not Italian, I'm as waspy as they come, um, you know, food has to be on the table. And, Ooh. you know, it's like, oh, I could do, like, cheese. But that's, you know, cheese is, I mean, I like cheese. It's fun. But you know what? Dolcetto and a good bacon cheddar cheeseburger Say with what? spicy fries is where it's at. Oh, my God. So this so, is this is the first on the show. Now we have, we have what... We have what wines for? It's not just. It's not supposed to be just for drinking. It's, it's something to complement, you know, food. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So we got the fry, the fry thing here, <laughs> so we can do that. So boom. I'm loving season three of the the, the, the black wine guy experience. It is. You see, you see how the show is escalating, everybody. Right? Here's a napkin. And in such a great way, we're just ripping paper bags open here. All right. So oh, very cool. Get the other bottle. We have so much stuff to get into in the show, um, but I always like to start at the beginning. So um, tell me about your childhood and grow up in Texas. So I was born uh, in a town called Webster, Texas, uh, which is the gateway to NASA for anybody that likes NASA. Um, most people think NASA's in Clear Lake, Texas, but it's technically in Webster. Uh, so small town. My, my parents uh, met there in the 60s. Neither of my parents are from Texas. My mom's from upstate New York. She's from a town called Glens Falls. Okay. And my father's from Phoenix, Arizona, and they happen to be in Texas because my mother's father, um, who was a civilian contractor with the Air Force after World War II, um, when Kennedy established NASA, he got moved to Houston to set up NASA. And then later in the 60s, my dad's father was an insurance guy, and, and Texas was the place to be, and so they moved out there, and my parents met, and voila, here I am. Um <laughs> We moved around a lot as a kid, and then we finally settled in North Texas uh, in a town called Louisville and Flower Mound. Uh, those are the two towns I grew up 
grew up in. They're like an hour and a half northwest of Dallas. Okay. Um, they're farm towns. Um, it was the beginning of kind of like the suburban craze. And then uh, we moved out to way out in Flower Mound. Like my high school commute was a 30-minute drive with no traffic in my two-tone brown and gold Dodge Ram V8 318 pickup truck. Was, oh, my God. So you had, you had to drive a half hour to get to school? Just to get to school, yeah. Damn. Um, um, it was country. It was country and suburban living, which was which was fine, and it was it was a great childhood. And um, I am blessed because my parents are amazing people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my mom is one of the most gracious, um, kind people I've ever I've, I've ever been around, and, and and luckily some of that has has rubbed off on me. And, you know, she worked, she was a nurse all her life, then got into palliative care, which is end-of-life care. Mm-hmm. Um, and just, she's a, she takes care of people. And um, my father was a businessman, although I still kind of think he worked for the CIA because we never knew much about what he did. <laughs> he was never home. Um, that's still speculative. He was a really good shot. And, like, he, like, when I was a big, like, athletic kid in high school, he, like, took me down with a leg sweep because I'd done something really bad at home. And I was like, "This is not." Yeah, you're my you're dad. a big you're a big boy, man. Yeah, <laughs> like and like to have your dad like you know some forty year old just leg sweep you. <laughs> yeah, and you didn't and he, and and he, he didn't did he did he study martial arts? Was, no, was I have no a, idea. Was he going to a dojo? I mean, like, like my dad's still a mystery to me. At the end of the day, like he's you know he's your prototypical just like normal looking white guy, glasses, went to work, you know. See, but now you got my brain thinking because, like, I had, a, I had worked with someone. Same thing. I was like, you sure your father worked for the CIA? Like, like these international businessmen, like, in the 70s and 80s, like, like, oh, like people don't get. So, anyways. I mean, people don't get, like, those movies are, like, that. a lot of that's declassified right. information, right? So, when you see Jason Bourne, they set them up with companies. They send people and set them up with companies around the world. Anyway, I digress. So it's a it's like kind of a family joke because I, I list out the whole like progress of thinking of my I was like this makes so much sense and my dad's like we can't talk about it. And I think he just like feeds <laughs> but now into now it. he's feeding into it right. <laughs> but um, the thing that set me on my path and like growing up in these small towns and 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 you know, you know having Dallas close by is, mm-hmm. is my parents and the thing that I, I'm so happy they instilled in me is like. The value of money and what to do with it. Okay. Um, we were never rich. We were never poor. We were like straight ball middle class. But we lived in this area where like people would spend money on like the satellite dish or have more than one TV and have cable and mm-hmm. a pool. We had one TV. We had cable, but not, no pay channels, uh, no satellite dish. My dad only bought cars in cash, so they were always cheap. Um, which is another freaky thing. Why why buy a car in cash? Um, And maybe he was a hitman. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I have no idea. Um, But what we would do is we would travel. Okay. And so my my dad would always either link some of his business trips to the whole family going somewhere. So, like, I'm from, you know, Flower Mound, Texas, kind of nowhere. I, you know, when I was three, we went to New Zealand. Um, what? When I was six, we were in England. Uh, you know, I by the time I was eighteen, I'd been to like forty countries. Wow! And that's what he spent the money on, and in that informed my life. It got me out of a very close society, and, and I loved my childhood, but it was monochromatic. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was it was mono thought. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and that allowed me to break out, I think, mentally of, and a lot of my friends, like in the friend group that I'm still connected to that I went to high school with, none of us live where we're from. They work in journalism, film, and they're, they're, you know, they're thoughtful human beings who, who, you know, don't rely on Trumpism or anything like that. And, um, and I, you know, that's, I think travel is what breaks. Yeah. Breaks those bonds yep. or breaks the yep. – you're being bound by yep. whatever you're stuck in. I, I wholly agree. I mean I didn't travel much as a kid, um, but once I did travel, I, I just – and like I'm from a place where people don't even leave like the city, right? Mm-hmm. So even like traveling to other states just because I was an athlete, so I got to travel to other states. You you, you need to see more – but to have – to have the international experience you did, you know, like you said, almost forty countries by eighteen, like that's that's amazing. So, given that you had all that, seen all that at that age, um, you decided to stay in uh, Texas for university. That wasn't ne- really a decision. Um, it was more than just. <laughs> it was the only place that we could afford, and I I got in that we could afford. So I'd okay. gotten into like Notre Dame, and then uh, Pomona, and I, you know. I went to a really big high school. Even though we were in a small town, like all the t- all the schools, all the villages fed into mm-hmm. the school. So like five thousand kids. The the graduating class was like eight hundred something kids. Um, and I I was a very good student. I never I always made straight A's, and I did good on all the tests. And I applied. You know, I wanted I wanted to get out of Texas. Okay. I I I wanted to go to Harvard or Brown or you know, and I, I didn't know I was a dime a dozen. Mm-hmm. I, that's that's my even though I traveled, I didn't know that this this being being a little white kid with good grades, there's a lot of us <laughs> uh, who had privilege. I, you know, that's I, I didn't know that. I mean, like, you know, I, I, I didn't know it either. And um, I'm not even white, so. <laughs> and so I, I need to say, I I my scores weren't good enough, uh, right. but they were good enough to get into a few places. But then when it came down to it, um. I also wanted to to be in the Navy, so okay. I had the, the University of Texas had the Naval ROTC, and um, I wanted to be a doctor, and so I got that. And you could apply for the Naval ROTC scholarship and do well in school, and so that's that's why I chose you. I mean, UT chose me basically. Gotcha, and, gotcha. So, but I mean, I've been to Tech, I've been to Dallas. I've I've only been to Dallas and um, Austin, right? Um, I was in George W. Bush Airport once in Houston on the way to Arizona. Uh, uh, I would like to go to Houston. I got a pretty good food scene. Great food scene uh, there. Good um, people. Yeah, yeah. But um, I I went to law school with this guy Garth, who was from Texas and had went to UT Austin. And this was in the mid '90s when we were in law school. And he's like, "I'm telling you, you gotta go to Austin. I know you like New York City, but you're gonna love it." And uh, I wish I had went. If I had went to Austin. Before the year 2000, I would probably be living there because you could actually buy a house for like 180k. It a was nice house. A nice house too, like Craftsman. Like, like it was, it was. And South by Southwest had been going on, but it was still the best kept mm-hmm. secret. You know, now it's, it's fucking. You can't, can't touch no, it. No, you might as well move to California. <laughs> it's, like, it's California. It's like Santa Barbara prices in Austin. Except for there's no uh, there's no income tax in Texas. So that, that's there, is that. There, there is that. But there's also a lot of but there's a, but, 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 but you know like there's lots of things you can't have in Texas. You can like have an, guns, like an abortion, but not abortion you know, or health I mean, insurance. I mean, so 
So I, so like I said, if I went there, then uh, been a different story. But what was it like to go to the famed UT Austin? Keep keep Austin weird. Hook 'em horns. It was fantastic, and I, I was to be honest, I was scared because I, you know, it's a, it's a university that has in between, depending how you count it, between like sixty five and seventy thousand students. So it's it's a, it's its own thing. Mm-hmm. There's its own a, city. There's a city. dorm room that has its own zip code. What? Uh, yeah, that's that big. Um, <laughs> I was everything's bigger in Texas. Yeah, I was so anti going there. Like, you you have to go to orientation, and I was like, my parents were like, you have to go to this, you have to go to college. And I was like, oh, okay. So I go, and I'm like, kind of butthurt about it because I didn't get into where I wanted to go, and I was like, oh, it's gonna be so blue. And I go there, and like the spirit of Bevo, which is like our mascot, like I'm like, oh, singing the the songs. <laughs> I'm like, this is this is amazing, and. Like any place, and I think that's maybe it translated to to coming to New York too. In in big places, my recommendation is always you, you find the niche that fits you best, and then you grow from there. Right. And the cool thing about it, I was studying chemistry um, for for pre med stuff, and you find that that group of people, and then within that group of people, you find more friends. And like with Na- with ROTC, that was like that was the fraternity I was in. That was like this group gotcha. of, of men and women. And I was only in it for for two years because then it came out for the scholarship, but they're like, my eyesight was too bad to actually get the scholarship or be in the Navy. So I was like, I was depressed because all I want to do is be in the military and specifically be in the Navy. And then I found uh, the rowing team crew. Okay. Um, and for, for men... Um, Rowing is a club sport, uh, and for women, it's a varsity sport. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they they train together, and you, you get to use the same facilities. And so I found rowing, and I, I I fell in love with rowing, and that that just that became the dominant part of my college career. That's really cool. Um, people, crew is a tough sport. Yeah, I was much fitter. People don't awesome. it's a tough so good sport. Looking. <laughs> 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 I look at my I ran track. I look at myself. I was like, man, I was handsome. Yeah, now I'm fat. <laughs> No, no, it's funny. Um, this is a different time, right? So, um, so you are, like I said, you grew up in Texas, and but uh, is this where your love of barbecue that was at? Did your dad barbecue, or did that happen when you got to Austin, like Central no. Texas barbecue? Like my dad, my dad barbecued. And I remember, I think it was for my dad's fortieth birthday, maybe forty fifth birthday. My mom worked for the school district as a school nurse at one point in her career in the vocational school. She knew like the the head of the teacher of the welding class, and so she had the welding class make him like a big smoker, like wow. out of the oil drums. Mm-hmm. And so they mm-hmm. like you know clean out the oil drums, and then they like weld it together. And so it showed up and had the big thing of Texas on. It was awesome. And so he would he would bar he would grill and barbecue on that, and that's kind of like the the smell of smoke, the 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 just the tradition. It's 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 just this thing where you you're the the happy memories of doing something slow and and being with my father and and then seeing how happy people were when they ate the food and I was like well this is awesome and it smells good and it tastes good so I'm I'm in and then when I went to Texas you know there's barbecues everywhere oh in central Texas central Texas yeah. specifically yeah. and I just kept up with it and then when I got older and moving around I just I love being in front of the grill I mean I think like a lot of People, I don't know if you remember in like Beavis and Butthead, but I think it was Beavis like fire. fire. Yeah, of course. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was the best. It was like they were pyromaniacs, and, they, and then there's the uh, I guess some kid was playing with matches, so they stopped all the fire references. And there's a great episode where he goes, he goes, 
whoa, that was close. Yeah. <laughs> like he did, you know, how he, he would get amped up to get ready to say fire, fire. He's like, whoa, that was close. <laughs> and so Mike Judge, genius. Yeah. Oh my God. I mean, Office Space. Oh my <laughs> Office Space. <laughs> One of the greatest movies ever made. Oh my God. That is such a great movie. If you haven't seen Office Space, go go check that one out. It's, and if you have probably... seen it but haven't seen it in a while, do it again. Exactly. The, the paper thin walls. <laughs> uh, this is this is my stapler. Oh my god. I I do go down these rabbit holes. Oh my god. Sometimes. Oh my god. But the love of fire and like wanting to burn stuff but not get in trouble. Right. Barbecue is a great place. Like, for I mean, it. if you're if you if you're a teenage kid or a, you know pre pubescent kid, you get to play with fire. Mm-hmm. My it's, dad's it's, like, it's, it's sanctioned. Go light the barbecue. And you're like, <laughs> And this is like, you know, when we were first starting the barbecue, you get like the the thing of lighter fluid and you're just like, <laughs> and the flames are going through the roof and your dad's just like, don't do that. And you're like, sorry. So quick question. What was your favorite, what was your favorite, um, what was your favorite uh, uh, barbecue joint when you were at UT? When I was at UT, um, you know, these, these aren't like the popular ones that right. there are now, but like the... The Salt Lick was kind of like the most yeah, famous I'm a, I'm one at, at the time. Yeah, yeah. And the other one in Austin proper that I like to go to because it was a good concert venue was Stubbs Barbecue as mm-hmm. well. And that's before like the sauce yeah. came out. Yeah. But like driving around, I love Mueller Barbecue. Um, and then also there's this place in a town called Luling, Texas called Luling City Market. And I, I love it. And I, the other thing I love about barbecue is that it's like the OG fast food because it takes forever to cook, but you just queue up. Someone slices it for you. You have it for lunch. You inhale it, and then you go back and work. Yeah, yeah. So um, there are a bunch of new places. Have you been back to any of the new places? I like Franklin's. Uh, I mean, Aaron Franklin is a is a genius. Um, Isn't that that's an experience? I you know, I don't know what. Uh, well, he's actually he. Um, people are pissed off because he's not open. Kind, he's just doing takeaway because of COVID. Mm-hmm. But. Oh man, I hope people get to, that's an experience. It's 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 a bonding experience to to get up at six o'clock in the morning and go stand in line. And like if you get there at like six thirty, six forty five, you're way back in line. But it's like tailgating, mm-hmm. and people are out there with beers and and wine and and and, and prosecco and man, man, it's mimosas and it, it's it's a lot. It's it's an experience and fucking worth it. And then um, have you ever been? But when have you ever been to Brown's Barbecue? I've never been to Brown's Barbecue. It's a food truck. It's at some bar. I want to say it's off of uh, Lamar. I'll, have to, I'll send you a link. But um, pretty killer stuff, man. Really good. And they make a mean banana pudding. I'm there. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, mean banana pudding. Vanilla wafers. Yep. Yeah. So good. Yeah. All right. So <laughs> uh, while you were in, actually in Austin, you took a job at the uh, Central Market, which is one of the premier wine shops in Austin. Is that where you fell in love with wine? Talk about that experience. I, I fell in love actually before. Okay. Um, that was my first official wine job. But when I um, – so I'll back up. My first semester in college. So I was like – I wouldn't say like super straight edge in high school, but like pretty pretty darn close. Like I went to some parties, but I didn't drink because I was really like in love with this one woman who didn't drink. Even though it was funny. She didn't go to our high school and she lived in New Orleans. But um, I uh, I stayed committed. <laughs> I'm stupid. <laughs> I do have a girlfriend. You went. She's from Canada. <laughs> it was yeah. like the Breakfast Club or something. Yeah, exactly. Right? <laughs> it's totally, totally like that. Um, and so you know when I and I always you just never had a ton of self esteem. Um, 
and so I, I never had a girlfriend in high school, didn't like kiss anyone and or anything. And then I got to college and like when I was in high school, like up until my junior year, I was, I was extremely heavy. And then I started, uh, I lost about 120 pounds my senior year of high school. I, I joined the swim team. And the swimmer, swim, it was one, a very formative time in my life because I put on a Speedo and I couldn't see my feet. Mm. And the, these, these people accepted me. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, growing up as a fat kid was, was awful. It was the worst. And, and then having a group of people who were extremely athletic support me. Like, I couldn't swim half a lap. And then, you know, by the time I was done with high school, I was swimming really well. And then that's how I got in the rowing team and, okay. and stuff like that with the Navy. And, and um, but then girls, girls came around <laughs> and they started like hitting on me. Oh, and I was like, what the hell is going on? Like, there oh, Jeff. Parties. <laughs> what is alcohol? <laughs> what is an amaretto sour? <laughs> that is delicious. And... I really did bad at school my first semester. Oh, my God. I didn't know what class was, but I knew what boobs were. Um, and could make a mean amaretto sour. <laughs> it's so embarrassing. It's such a disgusting drink. I bet the, I bet we could uh, hashtag it and make it have a comeback. Yeah, right? we could make it have, you know, like I, we would go find the one guy on our dorm floor that was like 21 years old. It's like we called him. His name was Dave. It was like 21 Dave. Yeah, exactly. Uh, here's, here's all our money. And I'd be like, make sure to get the D Serrano. <laughs> and, you know, for some reason, extremely sugary drinks when you're 18 year old don't give you a hangover. I know. Um, but, anyways, I sucked at school uh, for me because, like, coming from like never made below an A in my entire life, and like, I got like an A, a B, a C, and I got a D, mm. which means you have to repeat the class. And I, so my GPA my first semester was 2.4. And I was like, I, I never I forget. I was on, on the deck of our house, and I started crying. I was like, "Fuck! I'm an idiot. I'm an asshole. I'm wasting money. This is this is embarrassing." And so it was it was a huge wake up call. And so I was like, "Okay, what do I need to do?" It was like, "Let me get myself out of that situation." So I came back to Austin. I was like refocused. I was like, "If I'm going to be a doctor, I got to obviously you have to have like a 3.5 GPA to even get an interview for for medical school." And I didn't know this, but like. The hill to climb to get your GPA out of a hole, and I you doing you have to make straight A's for the rest of your college career. It's like I'm I'm like I'm screwed. Um, so I I had no qualities. I mean, like the jobs I had in high school, I was a bag boy at a grocery store, a checkout person at a grocery store, and a lifeguard. Those were the jobs I'd had um, in high school, and so I could do nothing. But my the woman that cut my hair at the barbershop, her dad owned a family-owned German restaurant, okay. which is funny. He was from Berlin, but the restaurant was Cafe Mozart. Mozart's from Austria. Um, so I interviewed there because I used to speak some German. I was taking German classes, and his name was Hans, and he's like, uh, you can be the dishwasher. I'm like, okay, cool. Let's do this. Like $4 an hour back then. I mean, it, it's embarrassing to think like the, the minimum wage in Texas – you know, this is over 20 years ago. 1995 is not much bigger than it was when when I was a dishwasher wow. making four bucks an hour. Wow. I mean, come on, Greg Abbott. Get your shit together. <laughs> um, so I start cooking dishes. And, I mean, cooking dishes. Cleaning dishes. I'm washing dishes. I mean, it could be like cooking. I mean, yeah. the Hobart is really hot. I, I know, man. Um, and it's a humbling thing to, to, to be, you know, a kid that, you know, 
is is washing dishes on, on a restaurant scale. It's gross and you smell really bad. But I work Thursday, Friday, and Saturday nights. So I remove myself from the party nights. Okay. And I smelled so bad and I was so tired when I got home on those nights. Even if I got home like at midnight, I just went to sleep. Mm-hmm. And then I'd wake up, do – I got on a schedule. And that's when I got the rowing team. So it was like wake up at 4.30 in the morning, row, have an hour before class, study. And that's that's – and then I never made below an A for the rest of college. Wow. That's and impressive. It was hard. It was like – because I'm not – smart <laughs> is not – how you define me just like i can read a book and study and get a good grade but it's just it it wasn't always certain classes are easy but like physical chemistry is like one of the hardest things i've ever taken in my life and that took a lot of work Mm -hmm. and um but every night hans i think because he felt bad for me would cook me dinner and give me a glass of wine and he'd sit me down and he'd tell a story and i was Mm. like wow this is amazing there's stories there's it's 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 more than just grape juice and then Months go by, and I'm, like, tasting all these wines. And I'm, like, 19 years old. I'm, like, this is cool. I tell my dad. I was, like, hey, um, you know, I'm doing this thing. And one day at my my apartment, this box shows up. And it's a case of wine and a book by Hugh Johnson, Wine. His first book was published in 1968. And if anybody can find a first edition, please let me know. I'd love to buy it to add it to my collection. Please. Because it's, like... It's a thing that it, it changed my trajectory of all my life. Okay. And I read this book and I, I was like, it was the rabbit hole immediately. But each book was, a, each wine that my dad sent was a chapter. He had looked at it. Wow. And I'm 19 years old. So we start drinking, you know, wine. But I tried to do it seriously in the beginning of the book. He tells you how to taste wine. So I'm like, my friends and I are like doing this. And, and my dad in the note said, be the guy at the table that knows the wine. Mm. You, you can command whatever mm-hmm. business thing you're doing. Mm-hmm. You, you're the person yep. that's yep. becomes in charge automatically, even if you're not the host or whatnot. Right, right. And so still no idea of like wine would be, I didn't even know wine could be a career. I just knew people mm-hmm. drank it and it was, there's a lot to learn. So n- turn 20, I'm still at the restaurant. I, I moved from dishwasher to prep cook, prep cook to grill cook. So I, I'm cooking at the restaurant now and I still three days a week learning so much um, studying wine, and then about three months before I turned 21, there's this really beautiful grocery store. It's called Central Market. It's owned by HEB. And in the store, there's this amazing wine section, 5,000 SKUs, 110-foot beer aisle. Because mm. in Texas, you can't sell liquor, so it's all wine and beer. And five full-time wine professionals. And you walk in, and they help you. And they have everything from Franzia in a box to Chateau Kim or, or Mouton or whatnot. And it's amazing, and I love it. I'm like, so I start hanging out there and going. It's like, hey, I'm going to turn 21 in a few months. I'll do anything. And a few weeks before my 21st birthday, which is in January 1998, the 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 uh, the boss of the store says, you know, meet me here at the Omni Hotel on your birthday. There's a Santa Barbara wine tasting, mm. and uh, we'll just talk, and I'll see what you do. So I go and I get dressed up. Never been to a professional wine tasting before. And I'm, I don't have a suit jacket somewhere. I, re, I, I remember I'm wearing gray slacks and like a teal kind of satiny, silky, long sleeve <laughs> shirt. I was like almost like Z Cavaricci-esque. I'm not 100% sure. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like do my hair up. And so I walk in. He's like, wow. I mean, it almost kind of looked like Desi Arnaz if it was like, yeah, little, little... I need a trumpet or something. <laughs> um, and we walk in and we're going around tasting all the Santa Barbara wines and all these people there and 
smell and the wine. He's like, what do you smell? And I was like, that smells like hair permanent. And he's like, oh, that, that's good. Find out, you know, later that's a flaw in a wine. And then I'll never forget this, this giant man. And obviously I think in retrospect, he's not as tall as I think he was, but like at the time he loomed. He's probably like 6'5", six, 6'6". Six, six. Big guy, like big gut, everything. He's like cowboy boots. And we're sitting there and he looks at me. He's like, this dog will hunt. <laughs> and I'm all like, what the hell does that mean? He's like, it means it's good. I was like, it is good. So I still like, I love that saying. This That stuck with me. And so after the end of the tasting, uh, his name's Ross Uten. He now works um, in Sonoma making wine. Okay. Uh, and Ross was like, I'll give you a job. You can work, f- um, what was it, for 20 hours a week because uh, I was still in school at the time. And you'll be like the box boy, which means the person that like, Sets up the displays, mm-hmm. refills the shelves. So I worked five days a week from 4 p.m. to, to 10 p.m. Um, and and did that. And then every day I came in, and it was some seasoned professionals, and they hazed the shit out of me. It was awesome. <laughs> Not like a mean, like, give me swirlies or pull my pants down. But it was just like, you know, they would put a Jeff Recommends on, like, Behringer Reserve White Zinfandel. <laughs> or... You know, they'd write a, uh, they'd write like a, a Jeff says, and it would be like in baby talk. And I was like, you guys are assholes. But it was, it was funny. But every day they'd give me a, a, a like a three by five index card, and there are five wines on it. And by the next shift, I'd have to come back with five pieces of information about that wine. Wow. Not just about the producer, but if it was like, let's say it was Bartolo Mascarello Dolcetto 2008, mm-hmm. or I mean, this was 1998, so 1995. Um, I'd have to come back with information on the vintage, the place, yada, yada. And they did that, and I worked there for two years. Mm. And that's that was my school. That was, my, And this is before the internet. Like, the internet was there. It just like, no, I know, there's no, there no Google. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't a thing. I remember, I don't think I got my first email account until 98, and the internet had been around since the early 90s. I mean, I, I, we had, like, Eudora accounts. <laughs> so, that's super cool. Um, and, you know, it's funny, I just was talking with a winemaker last night so which will mean nothing to you because it won't be last night when you hear this but um and he's from texas and um i it it, it's one of those things that just clicked like so people don't realize like texas is first of all it's freaking huge um but there's so much wine goes through texas because steakhouses and money and money yeah yeah because there's there's i mean that's another people oil how much i mean and like it's like oil peripherally, like selling pipe, like people. I mean, like so. There's there's shit ton of money, and like all, like steakhouse wines. I mean, just they're just a ton of wine in Texas. Um, so that's like that's crazy though, man. Like um, to get that type of intense education. And what was super cool because it was a university town, and so like it's a big university town. So like you know the cool thing about my college career is I had Nobel laureates <laughs> teach me in my science classes, yeah. and like. You know, as you, as you, you know, yeah, your intro organic chemistry class may have like 400 kids in it. But as you move up to your senior level, you're in like classes with 12 people and 8 people and 10 people. And you're with like world famous right. scientists or yep. professors. And the cool thing, those people make pretty good money. And so at, in Austin, and they also travel a lot. And you have professors from all over the world. So the wine selection was global. Yeah. Like, I mean, we were selling... I mean, I remember the first Burgundy tasting I went to, and this is crazy. It was every Grand Cru. That was my very first. It was uh, they had they had three wines from every Grand Cru. Yeah, yeah. 
And I've never done that ever since. Yeah, yeah. That that people that's people like how'd you learn so much wine? Because I worked at Acker, mm-hmm. and they had the wine workshop. And and my first few months, I was tasting Petrus. I was tasting everything, like Obreon fifty nine. I mean, like everything, like Port back to twenty eight. I mean, and like, you know, I, I will never duplicate my first like three or four months in wine business ever again. You know what I mean? And and but that's it. Really. It's a blessing and a cur- I mean, it informs your. It doesn't never occurs, but it informs your palate. And I always tell people like, that's how I can tell. Like, I'm like, oh, that's really good for like thirty bucks or even fifteen bucks mm-hmm. because I've tasted. I'll see, and I'm like, and if 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 it just something clicks and reminds me, I mean, it, you know, and I'm, at, I love like I'm. This is like I love Dolcetto. Amen. Don't don't drink enough of it. No one does. I and know. like I like to jump right into this wine is like one reason I also brought this is like I'm a lover of history and I'm a lover of tradition yeah i'm not necessarily conservative in any manner of the word in, mm-hmm. in, in the way i live my life or, or i create wine programs or do what whatnot but I, I do like tradition and history sure and the beauty of italy is italy has so many native varietals yeah um and and that's part of its its history it's part of its culture but the problem with today is like certain things get so hot uh not temperature wise but like well cabernet popular. i mean cabernet so young Kind of fucked Napa because they had you had all these other great varietals. You had like great peaches yeah. in Napa, yeah. And now you have shitty Cabernet, right? Right. No, <laughs> it's true. Like so, like I know what you exactly. So, like, <clears throat> I mean, Super Tuscans are awesome, but like, and and you know, but like you said, like there's so many indigenous varietals that got pulled that or 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 or, or don't even make it over. So maybe they, right. maybe they get pulled. They don't make it over here because it's not marketable. Because people, what's it? You know, like when I'm working retail, I'm like, oh, you know. Dolcetto or Barbera, 15 bucks, great great with pizza, great with any red sauce. And people are like, I'll just take a Chianti. And, I, and there's nothing wrong with that. But come on, man. This Dolcetto. I know. Cool. It's I mean, fire. I mean, this Dolcetto, I mean, this is kind of, this is like this embarrassment of riches. And like, this is not this is a Dolcetto that's extremely hard to get. Uh, it's more expensive than most Dolcettos. But like Dolcetto as a varietal and across the board from Dolciani, which is like the home of Dolcetto. Yep. Uh, to Dolcetto Alba or, or places in other parts of Piemonte is one. It's a it's a grape that's that's mm. delicious. There's a deliciousness quotient. There's a fun vivacious note to it. Yeah. But there's this tension and the seriousness to it. Like I've always like if you love Beaujolais, you have to love this wine. And I think this wine's this oh. is like so people would, will crucify me for this, but they're like I I think this is as serious and as good as. Cru Beaujolais and what people think. Oh no, like, I just tasted this. I mean, this is like it's it's, it's like the Wu Tang Clan that came to bring the pain hard yes, to your brain. That's right. I mean, it's just the nose is just it's this tension. I'm getting like licorice, but it's so floral and and then the finish was like you get all the sweet fruit on the finish. Right. I just finished and it's still long. I'm like, oh man, like. This is brambly wild berries, really ripe plum. Yeah, it's delicious. And even then, I mean, even if this, so even if this is a fifty dollars dolcetto, like the equivalent bottle from like Burgundy is five. You know what I'm saying? Right. That that's so when that's my thing too. Like, like sometimes your splurge bottle should be an off varietal because like you know it's it's what you're the complexity and 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 I'm like you. The, the for me, wines the stories always pull me in, man. You know what I mean? But this is – Well, in the care, like when you get a great producer like this, like Mascarello, the care they put into their top wine and the care they put into this are equal. Um, the other thing about Dolcetto is like if, if we don't talk about it more, if we don't drink more of it, 
it's going to continue to be ripped out and replaced by Nebbiolo. Mm-hmm. And and Nebbiolo, I mean, like, hold on, I'm wearing my Barolo Bear t-shirt today <laughs> Barolo as well. Bear. So like, <laughs> Barolo Bear. I got, I'm repping Texas here I did, so Barolo he's got Bear. he's got armadillos. Um, and... But you're right. Then it then it becomes like, okay, here's a shitty fifty dollar Nebbiolo, right? Because have... right, because I can sell it for fifty bucks, right? <laughs> and the other thing you talk to producers like uh, Maria Teresa Mascarello, who's the proprietor of of Cantina Mascarello. I was talking to her. I was like, you know, what what's what's your feeling about Dolcetto? She's like, ugh. She's like, I love it, but I hate it because it's extremely hard to grow. Um, it grows so you know most grow, grapes grow vertically. And so this grows out. So you have to kind of bring it back in and you have to like, you have to teach it what mm-hmm, to do. Mm-hmm. And then when it comes into the winery, it goes reductive really, really fast. And it's not something you can just like pump a lot of oxygen into. You have to watch it. If you miss the point at where it goes reductive, you're screwed. It stays in there. And I always like to kind of anthropomorphize everything. But with wine, you know, Dolcetto is this like, there's the three primary red grapes of, of, of Piedmont. You've got Nebbiolo, which is like the, the, the regal, the, the, you know, it's, it's, it's living in the penthouse. It has an art collection, uh, very fancy, but also an approachable, you know, person and, and, and enjoys life and can give you, give you a lot, uh, but, but knows it's where its place is. Then Barbera is like that kid in high school who's friends across every clique, Everybody loves Barbera. Barbera is the, the like with the 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 band nerds, the 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 drama kids, the jocks. Every, the teachers it's that like, scene in the Ferris wheel, the the dweebs, the, 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 the all the yeah. she names all the cliques in high school. Right? And they, Barbera, all think, they all think Barbera is a righteous dude, right? <laughs> and then Dolcetto is like the goth kid who's like, <laughs> no one likes me. And then people are like, oh, did you see what Dolcetto did? Did you see that piece of art? That was amazing. But yeah, no one likes me. <laughs> and and so, like, if we don't pump up Dolcetto, it's going to go away. And that's, that's, like, my fear is, like, think about how many, like, trees or animals or plants or bugs or whatnot have been lost. It's the same with grapes. They're grape varietals that disappeared. Yeah. Um, one, because they're hard to grow. And, and it's true. Dolcetto is a pain in the ass. Uh, but just like, you know, people who may be pains in the asses, if, if you give them some care, right. put them in the right direction – they produce wine like this. That's 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 monumental, delicious, and that's why I brought you the hamburger. I know. So let's like, we got to try this. <clears throat> yeah. So I, I I hope you're not allergic to anything because no, I, I'm not. I kind of put a lot of stuff on here that no, I thought I am. Uh... So this is the junior bacon cheeseburger from Five Guys okay. with mushrooms. With mushrooms. Okay. Um, so no, let's little first take a bite of burger here on the shell. Mm. Um. Mm. There's nothing better than burger. I agree. I tell people, winemakers, highest compliment I can pay you is having your wine with a burger. Mm-hmm. You know, <clears throat> nothing better. I think that scene <clears throat> in Sideways is so true for wine, real wine lovers and wine geeks. Like when he cracks a Cheval with a mm-hmm. burger. It's like I don't need a I don't want a fucking fancy meal getting in the way of this wine, you know. But at the same time, they're complimentary. Like with with mm-hmm. having, sorry everybody, um, 
like the this is a bacon cheeseburger. So you get that smoke from the bacon, the richness and fat of the the, the meat, the cheese, the mushrooms. Mm-hmm. And there's a brightness to this wine. It lifts everything. It like you know, if you just sat and hoovered this burger, you know, had your Coke, you know, you you, you feel weighted, but you you hit it with this dolcetto, mm-hmm. perks you right up. Go on for the second bite. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. God bless. Mm. So, <clears throat> did you like it? It's delicious. I love a burger. I, I mean, I had Five Guys last night. No, two nights ago. So. I've actually never had a Five Guys burger. <laughs> First one ever. But I was walking by. I was like, "This is what I want to show MJ. This is." Um, Central Market talked about that. So. <clears throat> You, you actually did graduate your degree in nutritional biochemistry? Correct. So how did you land there on that particular? So just kind of like wine, I didn't in, – in, in college, I didn't know – you know, the cool thing about universities, you find there's all these, like, avenues and there's, right. there's all these disciplines. And, you know, there was a big nutrition program at the university, and there's two paths. There's the science path and the dietitian path. And in, in the path that I chose, you do most of the dietitian stuff. And this is when I was – you know, so I'd been, you know, I'd been 300 pounds when I was a junior in high school. And then by the time I graduated, um, you know, college, I was an athletic, like, 199. Um, and through rowing and stuff like that. And so nutrition had become a big part of my life prior. And, and when I, you know, being a, a fat kid growing up, you go to the doctors and they're, they're just like, you're fat. And like, I Yeah, think, back then. I you, thank you, asshole. <laughs> I know. I, I, I don't like being fat. It's it's not a choice, and and people say, oh, it is a choice. And it's like, it's it's more than that. There's psychology. Mm-hmm. There's there's science mm-hmm. behind it. But you know, so many diseases are caused by diet. Yeah. yeah. And diet's not just about eating food to lose weight. Diet's just anything you put in your body. You right. can have an ice cream diet. You can have a keto diet. Whatever it is, whatever you're eating is your, your diet. A diet is your habitual manner of eating. Right. Yeah. It's not about weight loss. And. These doctors never, ever once would help. But you know, doctors aren't required to know anything about nutrition. Right. They have one semester yeah. out of four years. Yeah. yeah. And that's so my passion, I wanted to be, and you know, this is where I struggle today as a 44 year old man who spent 20 some odd years in the wine business. I struggle with the fact that I, I'm not helping people like I, yeah. I feel like I should. Right. Um, I chose maybe the, the more fun, easy path. Right. And, I, I think I justify kind of what I do is like I've brought joy to people and I think joyousness and happiness and smiles is important. But the systemic change I wanted to make is I wanted a, another fat kid not to have a doctor not help them. Mm. They'd be like, you're fat, just don't eat. Well, fuck you. Like, what do you mean just don't eat? Right. And that was, that, was a, that was a struggle. So like when I, when I made the conscious choice to, to really lose weight and explore that, and then I found out about nutrition. I found out about the nutrition program in the university. That's that's how I got into it. It was through my my past life of being a, a fat person. And I still, obviously, I'm heavy. I struggle. I've just actually, from 2019 to now, I've lost 50 pounds. I want to lose 20 more. I'll always be a big person. I'll never be little. It's not like in my DNA. Right. But I want to be a healthy person. I have a seven-and-a-half-year-old kid. I don't want to die of something stupid. Right. And that's through diet. Right, right. No, that's that's cool. So then, you get out of school, you graduate, 
And then I don't get into medical school. Oh, so so you did still want to go to medical yeah, school? Yeah, no, I applied even, even though in the Navy. Okay, so you didn't get to medical school. I, well, so like I, I wasn't able to go into the Navy, right? Because of my my vision. Eyesight, yep. Uh, then so I, I keep the track. I'm working. I I nutritional biochemistry. I work in a laboratory. I'm also working at the the wine store. The wine is still in my head is just a thing for fun, in in like you know to be the guy at the table. I apply to medical school. I take the MCATs. I suck the first time I take it. I get in my head, and I, I, I have a problem with that. I'll get in my head, and I just like I, I, it's like this, you know, the this, the failure thing, the scared comes mm-hmm. through, and then um, then I I regroup. I'm like okay, and then I take it again, and I do much better, and then I'm applying to medical school, and I still don't get in, and I'm like I'm like shell shocked. I'm like fuck, what do I do? So I, I take a step back. I graduate, and then I'm like, okay, I'm just going to work full-time at the wine shop. I'm going to go to Europe. I'm going to go visit some wineries. As a buyer, I'm 21 years old. I get a, a trip to, to Champagne, first, first wine trip I've taken nice. as a buyer. Changes my life. I come back. I get this stupid tattoo <laughs> of a pinup girl wrapped in grapes and a French flag. Don't tell the Italians. <laughs> and my wife hates this with a passion. She... Every year gives me like a, a funny Christmas card that's a certificate for lazel remover. <laughs> um, maybe one day, sweetheart. Could have been worse. You could have gone back with like a Vov Clico. Right. right. That would be really bad. <clears throat> um, and then, um, so I decide, you know, like, hey, I'm going to just, I'm going to do this for right now. I'm going to just like, I'd done school and I'd worked so hard to make the grades and I just school, school, school and work and the rowing team. I was just going to, I was going to have fun. You know, restaurants and grocery stores and retail are all kind of incestuous, so there's, like, a lot of intra-family stuff. Yeah, yep, yep. A lot of fun happening. Yep. Because you work, I mean, particularly restaurants, right, because you're there 70 hours a week, you know, so it's easier just to uh, date. Right. It's the same. Uh, I dated, like, four different girls <laughs> yeah. at the grocery store, Yeah, and um, which is very complicated. Um, I was like, I don't want to get into that one. Yeah. I'm sure there was overlap. Exactly. <laughs> Um, for them, uh, but, um, you know, and then this was at the, the 99, 2000. Okay. And so I was still, you know, driven by this idea of service. I couldn't do the military. Um, I was thinking about the Peace Corps cause I wanted to do something more than me. And it's something I still, I still talk about and I, I, Sometimes get on these waves where I'm able to do things today as an adult where I'm like, okay, I can use this time and energy to help help people. And then then you fall off the wagon because you get just mired in your own shit. Right. Um, but I heard about this thing called Teach for America, which is, you know, controversial. But I applied. I love teaching. And I, I got in. I was surprised because I was, I was very nervous because the majority of the people that get into TFA at the time were like all Ivy League Yeah, people. they went to Harvard, Wesleyan, or Little right. Ivies, all that. And so I'm like yeah. at this interview thing with all these Harvard kids. And I'm like, I'm, I'm like a... It'll look good on your resume, Biff. I'm like a public school <laughs> idiot. But I taught my... You have to give us a, a session. So I taught about the colligative properties of ice cream using Ben and & Jerry's. And um, about how ice cream forms. And... I got in, and I, I got a job. So you, you, you list where you want to go. So I listed New York City first because I've, I've, since I was 13 years old, my dad brought me here. I uh, went to a Mets game, Shea Stadium. I'm, I'm a Mets fan since I was 13 years old. I love the Mets. Have um, you seen the new ESPN? Did you watch it? Do you know about no, it? No, I don't know. Oh, shit. They d- debuted this week. There's a new 30 for 30. 
uh, Once Upon a Time in Queens. It's oh. a, it's about the 86, 86 Mets. Yeah. Um, you got to watch it. I, I got to watch oh it. Oh, my God. You'll love it. Uh, so I fell in love with the Mets. I wanted to move here. My grandmother went to Pratt in the 30s. Okay. My grandmother wow. worked at Bergdorf's. My well, mom's. That's badass for a woman to go to college yeah. back then, by the way. A woman going to college in the 30s. That's... Well, she got a degree in home ec because that's what they could do. Wow. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, it was a progressive university in Brooklyn yep. back in the 30s. And um, so there's there's family ties to yep. here. I wanted to, I wanted to, I really wanted to be in New York. So New York was my first choice. Then it was D.C. because I've always loved Washington, D.C. Then it was Baltimore. Then it was Chicago. Then it was L.A. And I got L.A. And I was like, ugh, again, kind of like UT. I was like my last choice. <laughs> <His> fifth choice. <laughs> I never heard anybody want to move to Baltimore over L.A., you know. Um, this is before The Wire. I was going to say, you didn't, so like, didn't know about The Wire, right? I didn't know about The Wire. I was like, ah. I, mean, I like crabs. I don't like <laughs> You know, hold on. We're gonna we're gonna take a quick break. We gotta take a quick break, and then we're gonna dive into TFA in LA. <laughs> hey, hey, what's up? It's MJ again. Listen, we all love a sexy wine label, but the back label is more important. Do you want to know how to score a great bottle of wine every time? Turn that bottle around and look for the Skernick Wines logo. Skernick Wines has been one of my favorite portfolios since I came into the business over twenty years ago. Whether it's a ten dollar bottle or a $100 bottle. You can count on Skernick Wines to deliver every time. And it's not just about wine. They also have one of the finest portfolios of craft spirits. Make sure you go to their website, www.skernick.com, and check out their ever-evolving library of cocktail recipes. Listen, I don't say this lightly. Skernick is a name you can trust when it comes to wine and spirits. All right, we're we're back, everybody. We we were cracking up over the entire break. Um, I got to tell you, man, this is this is one of the this is a baller wine you've brought on here, man. It's Thank really you. good. Like people have brought more expensive bottles, and they were great. But but like, I know we were emailing, and you're like, "What's brands?" Like, you know, I threw some things at you, and then I said, "I do like Italian bridles," and man, was not expecting. A dolcetto like this, but anyway, I digress. So your your last choice, your fifth choice, was L.A. for for when you TF. So so um, what was that like teaching in the Los Angeles Unified School District? It Must was been hard as fuck. I, he, was, see, he took a pause. <laughs> <laughs> well, I signed that paperwork that said it'll everything you say will yeah. be used. So yeah. I'm like, yeah. mm, what do I say? <laughs> uh, no, it was um, it changed my life. Just like you know, grow up in Texas and travel like uh, i digress and i know this is probably turning into way too long of a podcast you it's, know edit it's, this out no but, it's not listen we're um, long form um i'm about to bite into the burger do so, it you know. it's a good burger it is you want another bite okay um you know and i won't like where i'm from is like conservatism and, and ronald reaganism that's what you're taught mm-hmm. and and even though my parents I, they never emoted a a political philosophy. My mom was always gracious, and we went to we went to we went to like the liberal church of our town. I was three three days a week, eighteen years of going to church. I'm mm. like deeply invested in that. Still today, not from going to church part, but from a moral moral standpoint. Um, and you know, my, my brother, my older brother, and he's he's amazing. He was like a Michael Keaton guy from Family Ties. He was that. He was like that Ronald Reagan loving Republican, <laughs> and so I followed my brother. He's he's eight years older than him. So I actually, maybe starting in fourth grade, became a donating member of the Republican Party. Wow! 
I got I was so proud of it. I had a credit like a card that said mm. my name on it and you're giving money to hate and divisiveness <laughs> and racism. I didn't know any of this shit. And I feel bad. Luckily it was not a lot of money. Um and then one day, I mean, through the travel, I was like, I was waking up. And I, and I, I people like around my high school, they would say stuff. And I'd be like, this is crazy. You people are crazy. This is not who we are. And I, I'm blessed to have so many good friends. And my, my best friend, the man that married us, Joel Rice, known him since we were in, in first grade. His family were Unitarians. And I would go to his church all the time. And they're like, they're the hippies of, of all right. religion. And the right. cool thing about the Unitarian church, and Dallas is a big city. <laughs> And it's an it's a it's a diverse city, and it's a it's a great like. I know I may shit on Texas, and I love the state. Um, I don't like its politics, <coughs> but the people of Texas are amazing people. The, the state is beautiful within itself. It's mm-hmm. a huge state, mm-hmm. and the cities are dynamic and diverse and unique, just like any other great city in the world. And so we would go to the Hindu Temple of Dallas. Wow. We'd go to the AME Baptist Church in Dallas, and we'd start seeing these things. And it, he said, you know, come, this is my sophomore year in high school, and I'm sorry we've taken a big diversion, but it, it leads up to a lot of stuff. I don't know if you listen to this podcast, it's, it's not just about wine. No, this I know, is, yeah. Is, so it's like... I just always feel bad. No, man, like, this, is, this, is, this is the good stuff. Like, listen, we could, I don't want to talk bricks and fucking residual Oh, I wouldn't know there. any of that. <laughs> I, I, I know. Uh, People ask that shit sometimes, I'd be like, I don't know, fucking, the tech sheet's on the website, bro. It's a Lego. That's <laughs> a brick. Um, but yeah, so you're going, you're going, experiencing different faiths and... But Joel invites me, and this is like I'm still this card-carrying idiot uh, for the GOP, giving my allowance money to um, that's to, a good to racket. The Republicans. Um, thank God the internet wasn't there because now that what they do is they just like they, they like, take a lot more money. Um, <laughs> but uh, he took me to a, a pro-choice a, pro, a pro-choice rally, and I'll never forget it. So like I'm like yeah I, I support I support, and I didn't I didn't I hadn't connected. Abortion. I didn't know that was a platform for me. Right. My affiliation with the, the GOP at the time was literally just following my older brother right. and just being like, money. That's that's all I kind of connected. I didn't know the social aspect of it. Um, and we're walking, we're we're marching with with all these women and, and and people, and people start throwing eggs at us and baby killer. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on? And I'm like, you. In in being, and this is where the church is really informing me. I was like. Christ has always taught us to be better, to be nicer, to be love. And I, I started looking at that, and that's when I started getting really mad at the church mm-hmm. and the people that were around. Mm-hmm. I was like, it's, it's all here. You read the book of Matthew, everything. It's like the biggest hippie in the world. Right. <laughs> and that's when it all clicked through my travel. through see, and, and I used to do this thing with my church. We'd go to Mexico for two weeks and do missionary work. But a missionary work was like, building houses, um, water treatment plants. And I was like big kid, so I was, I was like just muscle. I was like, I learned how to lay rebar and hand mix concrete. And that's, that's when it really hit me. I was like, wow, I have so much. And these people have so little and so happy and so gracious. I can be better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's when it all t- clicked. And I started reading more books and being more open and being like, oh, okay, nope. I'm taking back my allowance money. <laughs> this is a F you guys. And then Clinton came on the scene and I was like, I feel this. <laughs> and I was like, I'm, I'm down with Bill. And like, I like when listening to him and I, my, my junior year of high school, it was his uh, beginning of first term. And we had to give a, 
his first budget came out with a healthcare program and like I debated for it. I was like the only person and the 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 the, the teacher <clears throat> was an avid cons- like he used to call the UCLA the University of Communism of Los Angeles. Oh my god. And it's crazy. Yeah. But he I won the debate cuz he's like you you've made more cogent <laughs> points. He's like but you may turn me into a democrat. And I was like there you go. Cuz it makes sense. <laughs> anyway, so that that informed those experience informed so much about like how how I came to to do, want to do Teach for America, and then okay. coming from this very lily white background and going to the heart of Watts of South Central Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. I taught at Elaine Leroy Lock High School. Ozzie Smith went to that high school. Okay, um, it was rated at the bottom of high schools in California, and it was hard. Yeah, it was the hardest thing I've ever done. Yeah, and it was the the greatest thing I've ever done. And I made so many mistakes, and I feel. I feel guilt for it because I was a 23-year-old kid teaching high schoolers, teaching, and I, I am not being prepared. And, and a lot of people have an issue with Teach for America because they throw young, unexperienced people who don't study education to, to the <clears> – <throat> some people would say the wolves. You go through teacher boot camp, and it's hardcore. Like we're at the University of Houston, six six weeks, and it's like 20 hours a day of like here's how you do this. Here's how you do this. And like – the people who join Teach for America are, are all very self-motivated. They're, they're, they're smart people. I mean, yeah. some people do it for, I think, like, oh, this is good on your resume kind of stuff too. But there are there are so many people that care. And so many of my friends who I'm still friends with today from Teach for America are deeply embedded in education reform in the United States, deeply yeah. embedded yeah. in in the <clears throat> movement to help people understand that we have to do better for everybody, that at the at the end of the day – it's not about, you know, winners and losers. It's about everybody starting at the same starting place. And and that's that's extremely important. And it was amazing to, to walk into that class. I remember I wore cowboy boots the first day, tan pants, a jacket, and all these kids looked at me. And, and the, the racial mix of the school, it was primarily Latino. It was about 52% Latino and the remainder black. Mm-hmm. And um, And, you know, it was in this time period where, you know, the South Central was also changing in demographics. So the tensions between Latinos and black, it was really, really, it was mm-hmm. intense. And you could feel it amongst the kids. There was fights all the time. I got punched in the face. I learned very quickly, don't get in the middle of a fight to break yeah, it up. Yeah. You kind of you kind of just like yell and scream and they, they tucker themselves out. Um, I mean, obviously, if it's really bad, no, I worked you get in, in there. I worked in schools like in Gary, Indiana and Newark and, and like, no, you know. I mean, I'm stupid too. I'll get into a middle of a fight, but you're really not supposed to do that. But, but the the no, <laughs> and I'm little. I'm not a big guy. But like, no, like, and this kid like walled me. It hurt really bad. I was like, ow. But then, like, you know, then you're like, the reason they say don't get in is because like if you do get hit, you're because what's gonna happen? Here's I'm a lawyer, right? So here's what happened. You're gonna hit back, and right. then you're in trouble. Right. That's, that's the it. bottom line. Uh, because because that's it's natural. It's adrenaline. You get hit. You're like, what the. You're gonna right. not, you're gonna you're gonna swing, swing a kid, and then you know. Fortunately, go you're 23. Jail. You're gonna go to jail. Fortunately, you don't have a house because parents will right. sue you. <laughs> but yeah, so that's 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 the thing you really don't want to get in it. And I, oh my God, man, you. So, but I, I gotta tell this one one last yeah, story. Yeah, please, so, please, please. So these kids look at this big white guy from Texas. I'll never forget. It's like this one kid's like, "Who's that big white motherfucker?" <laughs> And this is this is this is what defined my my career as a teacher. Even though it was very short, only two years. That's a clip. <laughs> um, in your head, you know, you're taught 
you know, how do you react to situations? And I could have taken the like, you know, I, I, you know, don't say those words. And, <laughs> and I was like, I'm the big white motherfucker. <laughs> and the kids loved it. And that, you know, that endeared me with the, the students. And it was, it was, I love the kids and, and I had a really great experience and, um, you know, it was it was it was one of the hardest things. I've never cried so much at a job. Wow! And cried for many reasons. Cried for the pressure. Yeah. Cried for the lack of the lack of resources. Resources. Cried for the students. Like the stories the kids told me. I was like, this is crazy. Right. And part of Teach for America isn't just about keeping people in education, but it's getting people who have never had these experiences get these experiences and it informs the rest of your life. Right, it's, it's teaching, it is teaching for America. It's right. not just about the kids um, because a lot of, you know, you go to those hallowed walls of the Ivy League and maybe you haven't seen, uh, you know, but what you've seen on TV, which is colored by whatever channel you're watching, et cetera, and so on. So I think... It, it's a cross pollination, like, and I think it's it's very important. Like I said, I worked in education, so I work with this. I have a colleague; he's worked his whole life, seventy years or whatever, sixty years in education. He went to Yale, an older white gentleman, amazing, was a college president, and he he actually believes it's it's his one of the things is like it's important for white students to have black teachers. Mm-hmm. Right to have that to to see that role because there's that authority role they never had to do that but also just to see people because people aren't always seen through the media like it's intelligent like it's important it really informs a lot so I agree with you I think part of you know I was I never I mean <clears throat> I was not um, critical of Teach for America but I, I will say this having worked in education and didn't study education. My students love me. I think there's something refreshing because you actually are teaching. It's not about the lesson plan. Like they learned about Texas. Those kids, there's some kids out there somewhere who learned something about Texas because you were their teacher. I'm still friends with some of them on Facebook. So, so, so there you go. Like, so, so that that's for me. That's the mark of a true teacher is like, like that that you're still friends with someone. They might ask you a question. You know what I mean? And and so, I, I, I that's that's super cool. Um, so, was it during that time that you? Started drinking more and more wine. I drank a lot of fucking wine. <laughs> oh my god! There, there, there's a store in Santa Monica. Um, oh my god! I can drive there. I, I can't remember the name at the the moment. Shit! I, w- I apologize. But a friend of a friend told me about it, and um, I would go there, and they primarily had Italian wine, and I'll Falesco. Um, and this is in the early aughts 2000 yeah and they were selling like flesco rosso for like you know 6.99 that was a delicious bottle of wine yeah, so good <laughs> and you know that's that's what I, that was that became my house wine and um you know the whole time teach i mean it, it was a struggle it was hard and and uh, i you know i'm not from i'm not from there i didn't know anybody there i didn't have family at nothing and like with teach for america you you have this intense experience but they weren't my friends right and i made friends and i made lifelong friends and the woman who introduced me to my wife is, is through teach for america we taught at the same high school um so that was a huge bonus um but living in la, LA was was hard and i got in major credit card debt um because uh it's expensive and you make no money and i like music and i like drinking and i like going out and so i was like <laughs> well i can have like seven credit cards so fuck it 
Uh, I'll figure it out later. <laughs> I mortgaged the first like seven years. I've of my been life. there, done that. <laughs> um, and and through that, you know, it's I made outside friends and, and uh, a couple, um, Arlene and Tom uh, Wasalik. I met Tom on a flight to Austin. I was flying back home to see my brother because my brother still lives in Austin, and. Um, we became friends through wine and, and that the wine is this connective thing. I've okay. met so many people throughout the world. You know, I could say I'm a teacher and they'd be like, Oh, that's, that's, that's cute. Uh, or that's nice. And when people say that's cute, you're like, I know, you, you know, like, I, when I work with people, if you're like, Oh, you're doing good work. And I was like, I was like, you're uh, fucking, I know what that means. Right. <laughs> when you say wine, people are like, Oh, oh I know. Oh. I, like people, people, I know people are like, Oh, you're, you're a wine guy. And um, <laughs> I'm still friends with them. They live in Vegas now. But, like, they became, like, my secondary parents in Los Angeles. And they would go – I would go to their house. And they were really into wine and open these wines and introduce me to the other people. We'd go to Santa Barbara together. And so I got re- back into wine. And, okay. And so I started doing wine things all the time. And then as my teach for – teacher, I decided I, I, I didn't want to do Teach for America. I met my, my, my wife, soon-to-be wife, but we got married in 07 – in 2001, it'll be 20 years in October that we've been together. Um, this year, this next month. What's your wife's name? Shauna. Congratulations on 20 years, Shauna. And um, she lived in the Bay Area, and I was like, okay, I want to move up there. I want to work in wine. See? It's always a balance. It's always a love story with wine. Boys, people are moving <laughs> first. People are moving first. Someone they are attracted to. But Arlene, Tom, and I tried to like put together a business plan to open kind of like a grocery store, wine store in LA. And we just never got the funding together okay. and that, that didn't move along, but I had like all the plans and, you know, I'd never, I'd never worked front of house. I'd never done all these things, but I could see it in my mind, my mind's eye. I was like, Oh, I'm going to do this, but that didn't pan out. So I moved up North uh, after teach for America and got a job as a sales rep selling to grocery stores, huffing boxes of wine. I fucking hated it. I was a, they called it a, uh, a retail sales specialist, but basically you're just a merchandiser. Right. You like dust bottles at Safeway. Right. And, and set up the floor stacks. Yeah. And Got I'd, your box cutters, your best friend. I'd worked at fine wine restaurants. I traveled to wine regions. And I, I'd, all I want to do is talk to the wine buyer and be like, hey, do you want to try this cool Albarino or Dolcetto or whatnot? And they're like, no, we, we have this core schematic that you have to deal with. Yeah. <laughs> Edna Valley Chardonnay, uh, in cap aisle six. Get it built. <laughs> No, we have. Did you see those two hundred cases of Kendall Jackson back there? You here? gotta move it. <laughs> Aren't isn't this a union store? Isn't that illegal? You gotta move it. <laughs> so, um, and for people who don't know, I mean, the, the thing with wine in California, like gas stations have floor stacks of wine. It's the Wild West. It's, it is the Wild West, man. Um, it's so cool. I tell people when I moved out to California, I lived out in California. It's like you could get better wine at a gas station at one o'clock in the morning. Than you could get it like at least sixty percent of most supposed wine stores in New Jersey, man. Seriously, crazy. Hundred. Yeah. Um, so then, how did you? Um, how did the Travigne happen? So I was doing a ride along, and it was so funny that they gave us ride alongs as like these merchandisers. So basically. An importer, so it was a, a guy named Rich Robeson. He worked for Winebow. Okay. And he was – I worked for the Henry Wine Group. And he, I had a white Ford Explorer standard. And we were driving, like, down to Fremont. 
And he was like, you really don't like this, do you? I was like, fuck, I hate it. And he's like, but he's like, you're really personable. You're really excited about wine. He's like, you know more about wine than I thought you would. I was like, thanks. <laughs> I know. Um, to question mark. <laughs> thanks, I guess. And he's like, you know, have you ever worked at a restaurant before? I was like, oh, yeah, I worked at a restaurant in the kitchen. He's like, huh. He's like, have you ever worked in the front? I was like, no. He's like, well, there's this restaurant in Napa Valley called Trevina. And I didn't know anything about Trevina. So Trevina was started in the, the late 80s. Uh, in St. Helena, it was like one of the first, after Mustard's Grills, you know, it was one of the first big restaurants. Uh, Michael Chiarella was the chef, big oh, yeah, famous yeah. chef there. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, he's like, you know, they're looking for a new wine person. And I'm 25. And I'm like, sweet. I want to get out of this. I want to go to Napa Valley. I like Napa Valley. And um, he's like, oh, you fax them your resume. Oh, my God. So I faxed him my resume. <laughs> and... This was in... There are people, and I love my young Psalms who were like, what the fuck's a fax? <laughs> They're like, is that F-A-C-T-S? F-A-X-X? Does that have to do with that COVID? Is that an artist? Yes, you can buy their art. So I faxed my resume, and... They called me back, and I was like, oh, this is cool. Because, you know, like, I'm, you know, fake doesn't And you went it. to Kinko's to, to fax it. <laughs> I think I had a fax machine. <laughs> oh, shit. That's right. You were, yeah, because you were getting uh, the schematics. You had to go to the right. store. Yeah, yeah. So you, you actually probably did have a fax machine. Well, the, the yeah, yeah, the company I had, like, they gave me all, like, the computer yeah, and the desktop, yeah. and it was, uh, I had a pager. Um, <laughs> the sales manager would page you and be like, and it was that weird, like, you know, cryptic, Number words that would be right, like, right, like, like boobs. Yeah, hello. Like, yeah. You can you can spell boobs. You can spell hello. There's like a few words. But like, could... where are you? Um, <laughs> I'm like, I'm at a gas station selling wine. Um, and so I fax them my resume, and they call me back. I'm like, this is this is amazing. So I go up to Napa. This is October 2002. And I have all these interviews. And I live in Oakland. I live in Lake Merritt, which is like an hour and 45 minutes away. Yeah. Um, um, Can't afford to live in Lake Merritt anymore. No. I had a great – I had a corner apartment on the lake, beautiful old apartment. It was so cheap. Yeah. I mean, my car was broken into multiple times. Yeah. Um, but I loved it. And except for in the summer because this weird algae would grow on the lake and it just smell like shit. <laughs> um, but whatever. So – I get the job. I get the job. Um, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> Very, that was nice, Christopher Walken. I, which I'm horrible at. <laughs> that, that, but that, you nailed um, it. And I'm like, I, I honestly have no idea what I'm doing. I like, I'm like, <laughs> I know, I'm like, I'm like, holy shit! You're like, how did you get like? I'm like, how did I get I mean, this I, job? He's like, I said I worked at a restaurant, man. I was pounding schnitzel. Man. Yeah, <laughs> I, was I, like... I was literally pounding schnitzel, and now I'm running the wine program for a multi-million dollar restaurant. I've never been a sommelier before in my life. <laughs> I really don't know anything. Um, but the cool thing is but I got the job in, like, November, and he said, you know, you start January 1st. January 1st was my first day of work. I was like, that's New Year's Eve. He's like, oh, New Year's. He's like, be here. Yeah. I'm like, okay. He's like, but before you come, you have to read this book called Napa. So there's a book written. I forget the author's name. But it's like the history of Napa. And Napa is this political intrigue, you know, soap opera, mm -hmm. you know, 
all sorts of stuff. So I read it and I go the first day. And Napa, Napa is beautiful in the winter. I highly recommend going in the winter time because no one's there. Yeah. The vines are all gnarly. The, the fog sits on the valley. It's really gorgeous. There's green because it's always kind of some wet. Bird, yeah, burden it's a little, there. Yeah, yeah, it's a little wet. It's raining a little it's bit. It's never cold. It's not yeah. super cold. Right. I mean, we thought it was cold. It's well, like when you're in California, gorgeous. it's cold. But like, if you're from the East Coast, like we'd be wearing shorts. shorts and shit. Yeah. Um, and I get the job, and I mean, I, I immediately love it because it's 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 a show. Like, I love entertaining people. Ever since I was a little kid, I just love I love doing it. I, I love drama. I love all that stuff. And like being a being on the floor, it's it's a party, and I'll never forget. Burgess Smith was the GM at the time, and another like seminal person in my life for for hospitality and so when you walk in trevina and it's it's a the restaurant's now called the the charter oak and it's the same building but the ceilings are like 20 some odd feet tall you walk through this huge velvet um drapery to get into the main dining room and you look and it's just expansive and beautiful and big and he told me he's like look at this he's like this is your party every night it's your party you're in charge of the party. And what are you supposed to do at parties? And I'm like, make people happy. He's like, that's your only job. Make people happy. And how cool is that? Yeah. To throw a party every yep. night. Yeah, no, that's so cool. And wow. And that was just stuck with me to till this day. You come to my house, it's a party. And we're gonna have fun. You come to the restaurant I'm at, you come wherever we are, I wanna make sure everyone's happy. And it's hard, it's hard work, but it's it's super rewarding. But being a 25-year-old kid that doesn't know shit does not endear you to many of the staff who are much older than you and have worked at the restaurant for a long time and wanted your job. Mm. So there's this one guy I'll never forget. Um, I'm, I'm standing at a table about to pour wine, and he elbows me in the back as he's going through. And this is a restaurant where just, like, it's physical – and he like push it and like I got that for months. It was just like the 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 servers kind of wow. pushing like, while you're helping a table. Like they you could spill wow. on a table. And I was like, kind of. And finally, fine dining. It's a contact sport. Yeah. And finally, there's like I got the the chutzpah to like go up. I was like, what's your problem, dude? I was like, I'm sorry you didn't get this job. That's not that maybe maybe it's something about you, <laughs> not me. And I'm like, he's like 40, and he's like, oh, maybe you're, you're I'm so, right. He's I'm like, sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, Jesus, why, we're on the same team. What's your problem? And then, I mean, it goes through the thing, through hard work, through throwing myself into the place, like learning as much as I could about the history, the place, the people, um, you know, going to the wineries. That was the beauty of being there. Introducing this open idea of wine to the staff and to the guests, you know, it worked out. By the way, I need some of this in my life, man. Yeah, you do. That's yes, good. Let's go to Piedmont together. Uh, well, let's do it. <clears throat> Ronnie, did you try this yet? You need to get down. Producer Perks. <clears throat> Break her off some. Um, <laughs> so, um, <clears throat> I'm sorry. I'm going to eat this whole burger. No, you're it's really fine. good. Please do. You you might be our first like like literally the like I tell people any I have to be your friend of the show, but you might have to. This might be a two parter, <laughs> <laughs> you know. And I'm okay with that. It's good stuff. So, <clears throat> you know, you, you you know you you they said you get the chutzpah, get a little moxie, and uh, kind of check this guy. Um, 
then was it uh did that open a door for you there did it, did it feel more supported um yeah, it was like through that combination of just head down work showing that i could do the job mm-hmm. showing that i could increase their tips by selling more wine mm-hmm. that was probably the thing that turned the tide of course of course um but also just never stu- never coming to the level never being mean always being kind of jovial and friendly and and then just also like getting out into the community and, and having the winemakers come to the restaurant and 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 doing more and, and providing more for the staff. So how long were you there? <clears throat> um, two and a half years. Okay. Then what was the next move? So then, you know, at the end, that's when I learned about the, the Master Sommelier program, the Court of Master Sommeliers. Okay. I, I didn't know anything about it. And I was like, oh, that sounds, that sounds interesting. I, I like education. I want to learn more. And it it's, you know... I was like, okay, cool. So um, in 2003, yeah, while I was at um, Trevina, you know, I couldn't get into, like, so at the Greystone, there's, like, a CIA subsidiary school up there, and I could never get into the the intro class. So I looked all over, and my parents paid for this because I didn't have enough money. Um, I was like, you know, it's an investment in my my career. And they're like, okay, cool, Um, because the tests are expensive. But there, I found one in, in Biloxi, Mississippi, at the Beau Rivage Casino and Resort. <clears throat> I lived in Napa Valley. So I had to fly to Biloxi, Mississippi, <laughs> to the Beau Rivage Casino and Resort, and take my intro exam. And that's what I did. And it was awesome. It was fun. The Beau Rivage was pretty hilarious. I can um, imagine. And that's on the Gulf of Mexico, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. And uh, I, that's where I met uh, uh, Doug Frost. I uh, was a master sommelier, master of wine, and he taught our course. and And Bob Bath, and um, they uh, they taught the course. And I was like, "Oh, this is really interesting!" Like, it kind of opened my mind to to, to how to study for wine and and other other points and parts of it. It was it perfect? No, right. And but I took the test. I, I passed my intro, and I came back, and I was like, "Oh, I want to pursue this." And then. Worked, 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 and and kind of felt stagnant, and also kind of learned that I was getting paid very subpar for a major restaurant. Yeah, um, and I was like, okay, I need to make a. And my wife or my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, she's not in the wine business um, until very recently. Now she's in the wine business, but um, she's a graphic designer and photographer, and she just could never find steady work there. And she was just living in Napa Valley when you're not. It's it's a it's a, such a mono. And I couldn't ever live there. I like going there, but like, I like being in a place like New York where you can talk about other things. But when you go to like a dinner party there, it's just wine, wine, wine. It was like wine, wine, wine. And you're like, oh Jesus Christ, I got to stop this. And she hated that. So she's like, we've got to move, or we're breaking up. I was like, I love you too much. Let's let's figure it out. So I applied for jobs at Danielle here in New York, mm-hmm. a restaurant called True in Chicago, um, the Montage Resort in Laguna Beach, and a bunch of other places. And none of them, like they said, my experience wasn't enough. I, my fine dining wasn't high enough. Got it. Yeah. And you know, I'm like, I, I walk in. I'm like a, a big guy. I'm not. I'm not fancy. I, like I, I can wear a nice suit, but I still don't. I don't. I don't know. I'm not. I don't present myself in this very fancy way. So maybe that got in the way. I don't know. Um, but there was this grocery store company in San Francisco that was looking for someone to kind of redefine. Their wine program, and, and because they couldn't, they were family-owned grocery store. They couldn't compete with Safeway. They couldn't compete with the like Costco or anything like that. 
and that's what they were selling. In the Does wine it rhyme price. with Nelson's? Um, no. Okay. <laughs> um, it's called. It was called Andronicos. Okay. Uh, they're form. Uh, it's a Greek family that that started a produce stand in Albany, California, which is right outside of Berkeley. Wow. In 1929. Wow. And when I got it there, they had ten stores all throughout the Bay Area, and they were known for being this really beautiful gourmet store. And they had a good wine selection, but it was still kind of like pedestrian. So they brought me in to one increase the education of the staff, and um, kind of redo the mix to not compete with Safeway and stuff like that. So it was probably one of the best jobs I've ever had because it was really fun. Um, that's when I really started traveling because part of the thing was I would go find wines all over the world that mm. wouldn't compete with anything. And we'd get exclusives <clears throat> on things and have good price points. And, like, you know, we had 10 stores, and it was it was the Bay Area. So we're doing, you know... Decent. You know, yeah, doing decent Solid volume. volume. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we do... You put 50 cases of wine on 10 stores. That's 500 cases of wine. Yep. Sell it in a month. Move it. And uh, so I brought... Um, my, my best buy was a, a terrain Sauvignon Blanc and Cabernet Franc. So from the Loire Valley, biodynamic... Sold it for ten ninety nine in San Francisco. This is like two thousand five, two thousand six. You know, forty points GP for the store. Ten ninety nine biodynamic wine. Did the first in cap of Greek wine. So we had Sirtico and wow. Malagasia, and we so that that was the thing we brought. And there were flops. Don't don't get me wrong. Um, brought in grower champagne to the store, and it, it did well. But then, you know. Just reality and the expense of, of being a union store and paying well to the employees, it just caught up, and eventually Safeway purchased them. Mm. Mm. And then I moved to L.A. You moved back to L.A.? <clears throat> <clears throat> okay. And that's um, – so while I was at Andronico's, I passed my advanced. Okay. Um, and that was amazing. Living in San Francisco was great, and that's where I, like, met Raj Parr and um, a lot of the, the San Francisco – wine scene people and like um and I, I loved it. it's a beautiful town i love where we lived but it was also kind of a constricting town to an extent it wasn't very pushing anything forward and then someone called me and said hey you know mario battalion joe bastianich and nancy silverton are getting together and uh opening a restaurant in la you know it and, and it had opened and they're like they're looking for a, a new wine director and i'm like oh i'll I'm interested. I'm ready to get back in the restaurant game because I, I had passed the advance and I was like, okay, now it's time to get back into service. I want gotcha. to be a master sommelier. Okay. And uh, I also love service. And so flew down three different inter- interviews and then I got the job and I told my wife, I was like, let's go to LA. And she's from LA and she was very, very nervous because she, she felt like the moment she would be back in LA, that was done. She was born and raised in LA, mm-hmm. lived in the Bay Area and you come back home. Her mm-hmm. parents are there. But, you know, I'm I'm good at convincing people at stuff. I sell very expensive wine for exactly. no reason. So you know, <laughs> exactly. like, come on, baby, it'll be great. So we moved back, and then started working at Moza. And was the, David Rosoff is the next person in my life that kind of was seminal, and he made me a sommelier. He made me understand attention to detail. He made me understand how to lead people on the floor of a restaurant and be focused and understanding and, and having the vision not just here but behind your head and, and mm. listening to the dining room and feeling it and the lighting and the music. And uh, he's, he's, he's someone that you should interview and he is someone that the rest of this country should thank because he's been involved in the, the wine world in America since the 90s. And he's just this like 
in LA, he's he's he, people know when you talk in the wine industry, right, everyone's right, like, oh, David right. Rosoff. But like, he was at Michael's. He had this place called Opaline that Wine Spectator loved. And where's Opaline? It was um, in the middle of LA, but it closed. Yeah, I I remember that place. Um, and he's 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 an amazing human being, even though he likes a shitty soccer team, um, Arsenal. Oh, he's an um, Arsenal guy. Yeah. No, actually, I would. I, we're gonna have to get him on here. This is. These are like. I love these stories because you know. Um, thank God for the Psalm movies because it brought some things to light. But like, like freaking people don't know. Like, there's like like people don't know. There's so many people don't know who who don't know who Kevin's really is, man. Yeah, he, and he's he a fucking god. I mean, yeah. he's like the reason we have wine education in America is Kevin's really. That you know? episode was was bothered. That I listened to that <laughs> Thanks, before man. coming here to understand what I was getting into. <laughs> Sean was like, "Are you sure you still want to do that?" <laughs> um, but um, yeah, so I definitely gonna have to connect with him because I, you know, and there's like, I got someone coming on. She was supposed to come on. Uh, but she's rescheduled. Um, and I just met her recently, um, Brooke Sable. And like, there's just people who like are fucking ballers. Like, you go to a taste, energy tasting, and be like, oh shit. That, and, I, and like, I went to a taste, and I never, and I was like, and I was like, I was like, who the fuck? Everybody like, like was bowing down, you know? And like, and then you start hearing some of the stories. Like, it's like, and, and that's the thing. Like, who are the mentors? Who are like, and like, it's like anything else, right? Um, and thank God for social media. But because of social media, like, certain things get highlighted that are not necessarily um uh, what's the word i think certain things get highlighted that 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 uh, i'm gonna have to think finish that thought but what i'm saying is there are so many people who are integral to this wine game and got us here and 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 even like and i'm not even talking like an og like kevin joe there's people like who like like who are just making decisions who like uh you know uh, if you know, you know, type people. And I, you know, like even like your story, man, like fucking we're like, I'm diving in all this stuff. And I'm like, oh, dude, like, like we literally <clears throat> are going to have to have you back. We, 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 we're, 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 we're not even going to get to New York with you, man. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but, I can speed up. No, no, I don't want, no, it's just like, it, this is like, and this I, is the show too. It's, you I know, bring barbecue. It's long, exactly. It's long format. Um, it's conversations and like, First of all, the wine is just, oh, it's a couple old friends catching over wine. So, like, come mm -hmm. on, man. How are we going to get this all done in a short amount of time? So, all right. So, you're back. And I totally feel your wife because I'm back in Jersey. It's like there's something about moving back home oh, that it can mm -hmm. be. I'm not going to be staying there. But, but but like, so you get this great position with, with an iconic restaurant group. Um. What was I mean? Like I, I, I don't want to say what's that like, but like, and you share you share that like he made you into a psalm. But what 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 specifically like was there is there a defining moment or like? It was. I mean, I mean, working at a a hot shit restaurant in a town like Los Angeles is 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 nuts because when you're in L.A. and you're the restaurant. The people, those people come. Yeah, yeah, they're coming. Yeah, and you're like, is that who I think it is? Yeah, <laughs> and you have to act cool. You have to be cool as shit. You'd be like, oh, that's Paul McCartney. No big deal. Right. Oh, is is that, is that Han Solo? And oh, hey, Han Solo. <laughs> you know, like fuck. These are people that change your life. Yeah, yeah. And um, you know, you you have to deal with that, and then you have to deal with the the guests who are like, oh my god, is that is that that? And then you 
you have to adapt to the you know it was a it's interesting because it's fine dining but it's fast and it's busy and we're doing like 400 people a night and like mm. you're just like crushing it and then you know you have the pressure of Mario Batali, Joe Bastianich and then the goddess herself another person and people kind of in again in the food world people talk about her and and people know her but Nancy Silverton she changed the game for so many people i mean the reason we drink eat fa- the reason we eat fancy bread in america is because of her mm. um you know and she's the best palate i've ever been around in my mm. life she can taste things and put flavors together in nuanced ways that that make a difference like a microplane of a cornichon added to something change the game and, and being around that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and being around someone like David who sees the game like he's like Bill Belichick of restaurants mm-hmm. he sees it in a way that you just you're like what really and when you're around greatness you either fail or you you step and I'm not saying I'm, I'm great but you 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 want to be part of that team and you want to step up and you want to push yourself and you you find and you you look at you look at what they do that makes them great, and you you emulate that. Well, you know, we are, it's a game recognized game, right? So, like, <clears throat> you know, the fact that you get to play at that level, like you're playing at that level. Um, I mean, it's, I, it, I stay humble for sure, but <clears throat> you wouldn't have been working with them people if you couldn't hang. No, you you work hard. I mean, and like, it makes you, and and that's the thing too. I hate to cut you off, but like I when I was a kid, like I always liked to play with older kids because it made you elevate your game right like so working with them like makes you elevate your game so and i i think that it circles back to my childhood is like my parents never dumbed down anything my parents like i was sitting at the table and they were having serious conversations and i was there i was part of it they may not have asked me you know my opinion sometimes but as i got older they did Mm -hmm. and but i was always part of the i was part of the conversation and so you know, not being afraid of being in the room with your idols, mm. and mm. and 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 knowing 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 what you know and knowing what you don't know, and making the move. And obviously, sometimes you'll make the failures, or or get you let your ego will slip, and you're like, oh, I can do this, and you're like, oh nope, that was a colossal fail. <laughs> yeah, I get kicked in the nuts sometimes. <laughs> you know what? We're going to stop on get kicked right. in the nuts. <laughs> but I, we are actually going to have you back for right. part two. <clears throat> uh, we're going to have you back for part two. Um, amazing stories, man. You just want, you just want more Dolcetto. I, I, mean, I, I mean, listen, I'm going to get that one way or another. <laughs> just so we're clear. <laughs> I want you to bring something else, Baller. Um, I, I got it. Oh, my God, Jeff. <clears throat> thank deep, you. Thank you for the deep dive, man. Yeah. Wow. Sorry. No, <laughs> no, no, no. Dude, this was perfect. Are you Don't apologize. Dude, this is amazing. Like what you shared and, 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 you know, like people know you from the SIP trip and that's great. And people now town know you around from, you know, you're, you're on the streets and it's hard work on the streets, but like I'm about the stories and man, you shared some killer stories and, and we got, we, we have like, we could have three more episodes. We got, we got hours and hours of more story, my man. We're almost in New York. Don't worry. You know, uh, if you want to just have a story about what are the crazy things you saw in a restaurant? Yes, let's finish with that. I got a lot of those. Okay, the, the funniest one, not the funniest one. There are a lot. So like specifically in Los Angeles when like, you know, shit's off the rails. It's a busy restaurant, everybody wants in. There's like everybody everybody in the restaurant is somebody. Yeah. Or they they think they're somebody. <laughs> right. I'll never forget. So like 
you know, I'm kind of like a somager there. So, like, um, so, for those that don't know somager, that's sommelier and manager. So you're a somager. You put it together. You've got to manage people and be a sommelier. Um, so the bartender, like, runs over to me. He's like, dude, we've got, we've got a colas- colossal PETA. And PETA is another acronym we use, which means pain in the ass. Yeah, yeah. Um, at, at seat number two. Uh, he's like, he ordered the, the, the halibut. No, no. His, his wife ordered the halibut, and he ordered the steak well done. And he wants it now. And I was like, well, when did the check fire? And he showed me the check, and it was like six minutes ago. Which is telling that anybody would fucking order a well-done steak at a fine dining restaurant. But anyway, was a sizzler, motherfucker? Well, and also to expect a, like a two-inch steak to be well done in six minutes is physically impossible. <laughs> You'd have to microwave it first, I I'm think. I'm thinking about who that could be because there is someone oh. who, who likes their steak well done. Anyway. Not, okay, know. well, wait till you find out what this dude did. Um, okay, so I go over the bar and I was like, oh, hello, sir. How are you doing? He's like, he's like, I've got a complaint. Your asshole bar. I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> I was like, stop. You explain. My, my bartender is a great person. You don't know him. He's doing his job. And he's like, no, you don't tell me what to do. I was like... I was like, I like, we're back on the wrong food. I'm just trying to help you. <laughs> He's like, what? I was like, what can I do to help you? He's like, well, you can get my food here. I was like, sir, you asked for a well done steak and you ordered it six minutes ago. He's like, I ordered thirty minutes ago. I was like, here's the time on the check. This is when you did this. He's like, well, your person put it in late. I was like, no. Here's when your reservation was for this time. I can, <laughs> like, we have all the data. Don't fuck with us. We, we. I, I, I was like, I'm literally here to help you. Can I get you something in the meantime on the house? He's like, I just want my steak. And I was like, sir, I'm not God. I can't mess with time continuum. I can't make a big steak go faster. He's like, we'll cut it in half and then just grill. I was like, that's not – our chef is not going to do that. Right. And he's like, well, I'm the customer. I was like, you're not – and then he was like, well, do you want to fight? <laughs> and I was like, I do. <laughs> and then, then the, another person came by. Because then he he poked me. Wow. And I was like, no. <laughs> and so someone like pulled me off. He's like, it's not worth it. He, and then the, he had the gall to say, I will ruin you. Mm. I'm an important producer here in, in, in Los Angeles. Your career is over. And I was like, <laughs> was like fuck you. And the horse you ran on, you get the hell out of the restaurant. He's like, what? I was like, you leave. He's like, you can't do that. I was like, yes, I can. <laughs> get out. And so we escort them out. He's, he's like, now I'm going to fight you. I was like, no. And we closed the door and he tried to come back in. And then like all the service staff came. Yeah. It was like, hmm. What? And he, he backed down. Uh, we, so we looked him up. He was a porn producer. <laughs> um, so my porn career was ruined. <laughs> there we go. That's, that's my story. Oh, my God. That is, that is probably the dopest story we've had. I'm thinking of tiles now. Things to do when you're about to fight a porn producer in L.A. <laughs> um, Jeff Porter, thank you so much for coming thank you on. Very much. Um, tell everybody where they can find you, how they can be a part of the things you're up to. Uh, you can find me at Drink Eat Love on Instagram. That's Drink Eat Love because I, I heard Drink Eat Love. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Drink Eat yeah, Love. Drink Eat Love. Uh, you can find me on Psalm TV. Um, on Sip Trip and Eating and Drinking with Jeff. Um, that's an app you can download and stream uh, content about food and wine. 
And you can find me and my crew, Marquita Levy, Nils Paulson, Vicky Dinnig, all on Volcanic Selections, uh, also on Instagram. I don't do Twitter. Yeah, cool. All right, everybody. Oh, my God. Um, this was so much fun. <laughs> and there will be a part two because we, 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 we probably got a third of the story, but I'm going to continue. Don't worry. That's the, you got the good part of my life. The rest is all downhill. Until the next time, it's your boy MJ. Cheers to the Mavericks, the philosophers, the deep thinkers, and of course, all you wine drinkers out there. Peace. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you learned something. You had some fun while you were here. Please subscribe to the podcast and give us a five-star review on whatever platform you're listening to. And if you want to be an insider and get special content, make sure you go over to blackwineguy.com and get on our email list. 